Thank you, Daryl, and thank all of you for coming today. And it's an honor to be here. I brought my daughter, my, my driver, uh, my oldest daughter, Luam, and uh, she drives me all over the place because um, I have a hard time seeing sometimes at night. But my Indian name is Wakeabo. It was given to me by my Aunt Margie Hayes from Tulalip Tribe. My mother actually is a Tulalip Tribal member, my dad's Pialip, and could be Nisqually. Could be Nisqually. But because Bolt made the decision to give 50% of our salmon away, and he made us choose tribes on what tribe we're gonna fish in. My dad actually grew up on the Nisqually River, and his, that's where his home was. And um, so we learned early how to fish in canoes, how to, I don't know if any of you have seen the Nisqually River, it's a real swift going river, and we used to have to, have to um, go up the river with sticks instead of paddles. We didn't use paddles on the Nisqually River because it was so swift. But my dad did, the, did this invention with his canoe. He got a little motor, cut the back of his canoe off, put it flat, and put his little motor on there so he could go up, up the river that way. Um, my dad and mom are very good teachers. My mother, they got involved in a fishing rights struggle. This is my dad in jail when I was a young, young child. And he's right here. He was actually the leader of, of the fishermen at that time, him and my mother. And he was in jail for 60 days. And people in jail couldn't believe he was in jail for fishing. They had to ask the guards, are they, are they telling the truth? Later on, my Uncle Billy came and joined them in jail. And then there was other guys who wanted to come and join them in jail, but the game agents wouldn't arrest them. <laughs> they said, no, we don't want no more of you guys in jail. But they did not give them time off. You know, how you, how you get time off for good behavior? But during that time, each one of them had big families at home. And at that time, there was no welfare. There was no commodity system. There was nothing. And um, so they, the women had to learn to survive on their own. And they had to fend, to pay their bills, to feed their children. So they got together and they did it together. They did it as one. They shared everything they got with each other so that no, no child would go hungry. And um, so I grew up. To me, it was a way of life. I mean, I thought everybody lived this way with the game agents, you know, beating up my parents or beating up my relatives. On October 13th, there was a real big, big fishing going on. Now, the thing about this fishing is that they staged fishings for the publicity so that people would know what was going on here. But on this day, there was no run. There was a, an old cork line and with a little bit of net in it. And they got in a canoe, my dad and my uncle and a, a television guy and two of my little brothers. And my one little brother, the youngest one, didn't know how to swim. Even though we grew up on the Nisqually River, he's the only one that didn't know how to swim. So when the game agents came out, we didn't even know they were there. And so we're all out of school. I was, I think I was 13 at that time. And um, 
So we're all standing there laughing and joking, mostly women and children. And uh, uh, all of a sudden, we see them coming out from the bushes on the other side of the river carrying, carrying these boats. And then pretty soon, they come out from behind the bushes with these blackjacks. And they had things that went on their fingers. And they just started hitting people, just hitting people. And that boat got in, got in the water. And full speed, it rammed a canoe. And there it went over. And my little brother was in there. And um, my mother just got, like, she was worried. And the game agents had them surround, had every, all the adults and people surrounded. And um, my mother was just freaking out because she couldn't find my little brother. And um, so then, uh, anyway, they grabbed my dad and they were choking him. And my dad, he, my dad was not an uh, angry person. And he was angry, just angry this time. And, and they were dragging him up the hill. And I was going after him. And my grandmother grabbed me and she had my little sister. And, and I was able to pull loose and go up there. Well, in the meantime, I had cousins. And this game agent had grabbed my cousin's hair and was smashing her head into the log. And then my other cousin, he turned around and another one turned around and hit her right in the mouth. And they had a couple guys in the bushes they were beating up. And they come out and they had their, their shirts were all torn and, and they had them handcuffed and they're still beating them like that. And um, I mean, I was a, a kid. What kind of kid sees that kind of violence? And and that's the first time I've seen, I've seen the violence. When Rosalini was the governor, he just sent the game agents to take pictures. That's all they were to do, take pictures of what was going on. Well, then Dan Evans got in and said, get them. And that's what they did. They started beating people up. They'd raid Frank's landing that night. They'd go to our homes that night and drag the men out and arrest them. And that's, that's what they did. Stop an Indian car and they'd arrest you just because you were Indian. Didn't matter if you were involved in a fishing match or not, they would arrest you. So that's the kind of, I grew up like that. And, and my mother um, did this organization called Survival of American Indian Association. And her and my dad were heavily involved in that. And that was, um, Dick Gregory came up, came up, and uh, and Robert Culp and Bill Cosby, Nancy Nguyen, Marlon Brando, I mean Jane Fonda. We had all these celebrities coming, coming up, and um, but Dick Gregory was the one who got arrested for 60 days. They put him in jail. Marlon Brando was upset because when they took him to the jailhouse, all they wanted was pictures and an autographed picture with him. So during the, the awards, the Academy Awards, he sent Sasheen Littlefeather up to do a proclamation about the way they treat the indigenous people. And he would not accept that award because he felt the injustices that were going on with our people. And it still goes on today. I mean, you look at the movies like, like the Golden Globes, they're talking about sovereignty and sticking together and the women abuse. Well, our women have been murdered and missing for years. Do you ever see anything on the, on the news about it? Nobody sees anything about them. 
that lady who was killed in the war, the first woman ever killed in a war, she was a Hopi Indian woman. But who got the, who got the publicity? Her friend, who was non-Indian. And that friend got really upset. And I can't even remember her name, that Hopi Indian woman. First woman to die in war. Do you guys, anybody know her name? See? Because they never talked about her. They talked about her friend. Her friend got upset. She said, it wasn't me who died. It was my best friend who died. And she tried to put it out there like that. And so anyway, if you look at what's happening, even today, there still is racism against the indigenous people. I was watching the news the other day, CNN, and this reporter was on there, and you know, she's a white reporter. She goes, I think Donald Trump just wants to make, make America white again. Well, it was never white. It was never white. You know, we were brown Indians that, and they come and try to destroy us, and they still try to destroy us today. It still goes on. They don't acknowledge the treaties. I was, they were, when they were trying to do away with the treaties years ago, they would say, United Nations would tell them, how can you do away with the treaties with, with the Native Americans and make treaties with all of us? Does that mean all of our treaties would be null and void? So anyway, um, I think I went off in a different direction here. <laughs> but my mother and did a lot of things, a lot of things for her, her people. Her name was Janet McLeod. Her Indian name was Yetsi Blue. And my dad's Indian name was Waklaha. And um, they opened their homes to everybody, to the American Indian movement. They stopped in Minnesota one summer and met with Dennis Banks and Russell Means, the Bella Courts, you know, John Trudell, all of them. And then they all came to, to Washington. My mother's place was, a, was like the, the center place for Native Americans to stop and to visit. And to, they, they started the American Indian Movement at the table of my mother's house. And Dennis Banks always talked about that. He always talked about how Janet guided them, how the women supported them. He said, we would not be who we are today if it wasn't for the women if it wasn't for our women supporting us and telling us what to do. And that's the way a long time ago our people, you know, they had clan mothers. And they would have to go talk to the clan mothers to do things. All the men would meet with the clan mothers because the women were givers of life. That's what they were. And so they would have to meet with the clan mothers like they do in Six Nations even today. They'll meet with the chiefs, the sub-chiefs, and then they have to go to the clan mothers and ask their permission. I was back there in New York one day, one, one summer, and they were kicking off all the non-Indians off their reserve. And they're still a sovereign nation. They, Six Nations is still a sovereign nation. No state patrol can come on there. The FBI can't come on. Nobody can come on unless the chiefs and the clan mothers give their permission. So I was back there one summer, and they were kicking off all the non-Indians. Even if you were married to a non-Indian, she would have to leave, or he would have to leave. <clears throat> and so anyway, um, 
they were telling, telling me and my husband, pick a home. We got these empty homes, you can have one of them. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think so. But even today, they're like that. You cannot bring your wife or your husband on the reservation and live. And they want everything kept, you know, has their people. But um, Dennis Banks, when they were searching for him, Governor Gary Brown gave him asylum in California, so they couldn't touch him. But see, that, that, that's how he got voted out, was because of Dennis Banks. So my mother was telling us that they're gonna go in and raid Dennis, raise the home, raid the home where Dennis is. And now the federal government, all of them, FBI, all of them are sitting around this house waiting for him to leave. And so all the people throughout the United States, at one time, they did a big prayer. There was this time, six o'clock, we're all gonna pray. So at that time, all the spiritual people throughout the United States did a prayer. Just then, California got hit with the worst storm they've ever had. Rain, hail, floods, everything coming. And because at midnight, that governor gave them the okay to go in and get Dennis. Well, they went in there, he was gone. Nobody knew where he went. A couple of days later, he was on a Onondaga Indian Reservation, and they would not let him come in. They could not come in and arrest him, so he stayed over there. But I don't know, I went out, off on a different direction, <laughs> Daryl. Well, maybe we can come back to a few things. Uh, yeah, has anybody got any question right off the top of your head you'd like to ask, and we can kind of take, take uh, some direction. I know, uh, um, Nancy's mother was uh, central to AIM getting formed, and um, uh, she spent some time with the Black Panthers when they were yes. they were uh, in the middle of their fights. And uh, your experience is that they're very human. You know, the press was categorized them this way, but they were actually just really good people. The the Black Panther got started to feed their children mm -hmm. and to give them a good education. That's how they got started, was to protect their people, because they lived in these ghettos. And so then it became like they were threatened, they were killed, they were beaten, and that's when the gun-carrying stuff came in. They weren't like that. And my mother met with uh, Bobby Seals and um, a lot of, when we had an encampment at the Capitol grounds with teepees and everything, they came and met with our mom. She put that encampment up to support Dick Gregory. And she walked with Martin Luther King. She met with Malcolm X. I mean, she just met with everybody. She knew a lot of people. And she didn't abuse that right of knowing these people. But, you know, like, God, Dick Gregory was at her home. He's, stayed in our home. You know, he slept on one of our beds, and to us, he was just another person. You know, like, um, but when she went and she met with uh, Malcolm, X, Malcolm X, and then she met with um, Martin Luther King, and she went with Thomas Pinyaka, who's a Hopi prophet from, uh, from Hopi, 
the hope he sent him out to tell the prophecies of what's going to happen here if, if the government or the people don't change. And so she, her and Thomas went, met, with, met with him because he was also a spiritual prophet. You know, he also talked about that. Let my people go. You know, his people were still imprisoned at that time. So anyway, um, uh, you know, today is, it's getting back to the racism. Like, oh, let's kick the Hispanica. You know, we didn't have borders. Our people could go up to Canada, we could go to Mexico, we could travel all over the place, up and down this land, Turtle Island that we call it. But it was them who put the borders up. And, and what's really sad is when the Hispanics come over, what do they make them? Serfs, you know? They don't get paid nothing for, for nothing. They get a little bit of money, but they're not paid like, like non-Indians are, or non-Indigenous non people. And they take total advantage. Now they want to kick them out. Well, who's going to take their jobs? Who's going to work for nothing? And so it's really sad to see what's going on today in this environment. And only, only, only Donald Trump's people can change that, and that's you guys, you know, that can say things. I, I really don't like saying his name. You know, I really like, I see things on Facebook about him, and I think the bad thing is, is if you keep putting that stuff out there like that, you just empower him more. Even though it's negative, you empower this man more. Like they empowered Hitler. And what did Hitler do? You know? But Hitler, Hitler put in his book, well, if American can do it to the indigenous people over there, I can do it to the Jews over here. So what are they talking about? If anybody's read his book, it's called Mein Kampf, I think it is. And it talks about there and there what America did to them. And they almost tried, almost put us in extinction. Like when somebody said, oh, they, we're going to put these, this uh, group on extin the extinction list. And they said, are we going to be on there? You know, Native. I mean, we're just now bringing back some of our language that was stolen from us through our grandparents in these boarding schools. And it's, it's horrible what they did to them in the boarding schools. Horrible. My grandmother took a long time for her to tell me about it. And finally she told me about it. And she said, you could hear the babies crying, the little kids crying. And they'd take them up to Alaska when it was wintertime. Then they'd take them down to, to Arizona when it was hot. So it was nothing but suffering. And they got raped. The young boys and the young girls were raped by their priests and the nuns. And um, my grandpa, Willie Frank, told me one day, he goes, do you know why they wear those big old black robes, those women? I said, no. He goes, because they're pregnant. And it, at um, Puyallup, we had a building there. It was Cushman, <coughs> Cushman Hospital. But that was the Indian boarding school at one time, Indian, where they took all the Indian kids, where they experimented on our young children. 
We had a spiritual unity conference there, and people from all over came. And we had teepees up and, you know, campsites up. And, but Beeman Logan, he was a real powerful spiritual man, and Orrin Lyons and, and uh, Uncle Isidore Tom from Lummi, and Kenny Moses from, from Snohomish. And um, all these spiritual guys got together. And under the nurses' quarters, my dad had keys to all of these buildings, so he opened this building. And I was following right behind him, and, and he opened the door, and it, it was underground tunnel to the, to the hospital. And all of a sudden, all those spiritual guys stepped back like that. They stepped back, and they said, shut the door, shut the door, shut the door. And my dad shut it real quick. They said, lock it. And so they said, what's wrong? He says, there's babies buried down here. Hundreds of them buried down here. Young children buried down here. He goes, we need to do a ceremony to help them move on, release them. Hmm. And they say they're still there today walking, walking around that area because they're lost. That's what they did to our people. That's the real history, not the, you know, they were, uh, the Indians went and massacred this family. Oh, what were they doing to our people? Don't our people, didn't our people have a right to protect themselves, to protect the future of their people? So my mother and father, they took us all over the place to learn everything, everything. Just soak it up, soak it up. Well, you know, as a young teacher, Teenager, you don't want to soak it up. You want to go running around and see what's going on. But yet, even while you're sitting there, or you can still hear that stuff. You know, it's still in your brain, whether you're listening or not. Because I remember sitting there, and our mother used to make us sit there every time Thomas came, and we'd have to listen to prophecy. And I love Thomas with all my heart. He was my uncle, he was my grandfather, you know. He was my mentor. But he wasn't an exciting speaker, let me tell you. <laughs> and so we'd sit there and listen, listen, listen. But then when I see things happening today, I remember him saying those things. I remember him saying it. And I said, wow, Thomas told us this, that this would happen. That there'll come a time, there would come a time when the mothers would lead their children, and they do that. There'll come a time when the mothers will kill their children, and they do that. There'll come a time when our young people will walk around like zombies, and what are they doing today? With all the drugs that they have on the market. They're walking around like zombies, aren't they? Skinny, I've never seen kids so skinny in my life. Like, like you know, they just, got out of Auschwitz, you know? That's how skinny their bones are showing and everything, and I thought, wow. Which, because I remember growing up and, you know, I don't know, I've never seen anybody as skinny as they are today. I think I better stop right there, right? Do you have any questions? Yeah. What do you think is the most pressing issue that we can take on today? The drugs. Okay. The drugs and to protect the environment. Because what, I have great grandchildren, I have four. 
And every time I go buy a bottle of water, I feel sorry for my great-grandchildren because I'm wondering, what are they going to look like? What are they going to dress like? What are they going to drink? I mean, you have all these things like LNG going up. We have a big plant going up in, in Tacoma. <clears throat> and if that ever went out, and it's going to pollute the land. It's bad enough our, lands, our water and land's polluted right there anyway. And so you think if this went off, it would be like four atomic bombs going off at once, right in that area. My biggest issue is protecting the Salish Sea. And do you think that's a worthwhile thing to do? Oh, yes, yes. It's the water. Yes. Thank you. Sorry. I oh, wondered God. if you would tell us a little bit about how your mother grew up and what gave her the, and your dad, gave them the inspiration to fight the way they did. Well, my dad grew up on the, on the Nisqually River. And, um, but my mother grew up in foster homes all over the place. And, um, because when they take you to these boarding schools, these young children, you don't have the love of your mother. You don't learn that love. And so my grandmother was a real hard woman. And I mean, I would go up and hug her and she'd just like, you know, like, don't touch, you know, that's the way it was. And it was my dad, when my dad and mom got together, then he opened that door for her. He helped her with that. He helped her, you know, to become the great mother that she, she was. He guided her, he loved her, and he supported everything she did. When she was doing all this work, he was at home taking care of us where usually during that time, the women stayed at home, right? The men went out. He worked, but he pushed her, like he'd do it. But um, my dad was on the Missouri. He was the youngest master sergeant in the army at that time. And he escorted the Japanese up on the, on the boat when they signed their treaty. And as he's standing there, this guy looks at him and said, you do know that you guys have treaties just like this. And so they come home. What, what got them started is, I remember one, one Christmas, before I was in school, that we had all these presents under the tree. There was hundreds of them. And we got the first Barbie with the case, me and my sister did. That was the last best Christmas we had. And then the state came in. Rosalini decided to make this a white man's sports paradise. And they started interfering with our fishing. And so they, they, that's when they started fighting them, just going out and fishing anyway and fighting with them. Well, a lot of the tribal council at that time didn't want to have any issues with the state. They were, they were set, anyway, in our area, they were set, okay, we're just going to let the state monitor our fishing. And my dad and mom said, pull, 
BS, you know, we're gonna fight for this. And so that's how the fighting started, is that just a handful of people started doing it. Then my mother and her friend went all up and down the coast talking to, talking to these tribes about what was going on down in our area. And so then they all started getting together. And they call them renegades because the councils did not support what they were doing. And so they call them the renegades. And, but they went forward, and what happened? A court decision came about that gave away 50% of our salmon. You know, the Gill Netters Association, you know, the Saners, all of them were stealing the salmon. Well, we would, we would have to put out a notice saying our river was opening at this time to go fishing. State would open just like that. Saners would come at the mouth of the river and take all the salmon. Just take everything. And, and, and we still fought them. You know, th thank God there's no more saners in our area. You know, we, we don't even have any gill netters, but we don't have no salmon either. So then they made these hatchery fish. And you know, I remember picking up a salmon, holding it like that, and the tail was still on the ground. That's how big our natural runs were. What are they like today? You can hold them up with one hand. And there's no tail dragon. They're small. So the hatchery salmon actually hurt the natural run. Um, <clears throat> I read Sherman Alexie's uh, story about his mother, his latest book. And uh, he tells a story about how the Columbia River, the Grand Coulee Dam, killed, murdered, yes. he uses the word murdered, murdered his tribe, murdered his um, salmon, salmon, his, their spirit, and I happened to have been a little white girl in Brewster at the time and knew nothing, knew absolutely nothing about any of this. And my dad worked on the Grand Coulee Dam and what I realized upon reading that, and it's, excuse me, but I realized that at a very early age, I, my mind had been colonized. And so my question for you is, how can we white people who have been, had a colonized mind since very young, decolonize our mind? Get over all that, that these were all good things and that the Columbia, that the Grand Coulee Dam is a good thing. How can we get over that? Well, you need to promote your indigenous people. I do that. And you okay, need to, thank you. to bring the education into yes. these schools. See, okay. that's what the problem is, is that, sure, they said, sure, you can have uh, indigenous classes, but what, what, what are they? Yeah. You know, what are they? Where did they come from? Nobody, in the, they still don't talk about it. It's still not in the history books. You know, so that's what you can do is just, you know, yeah. start saying, we've had enough. We as non-Indians need to make a stand and help because if not, Mother Earth is gonna die. And, and then what's gonna happen? See, I worry about my, the future generations. And that's who I'm here to talk about and to educate for the future generations so that we can all live in harmony instead of fighting each other about what color your skin is, you know, instead of, instead of, uh, you know, pushing people down because they're poor. 
you know, because they don't know nothing, well then educate them. You know, like, like Daryl does, he's educating everybody. He's making these, these films and everything. And, you know, Wes Studi's in that one movie that's coming out. What's the name, name of that movie? That new movie that's come, Hostiles. My, my husband was so upset because they don't even have Wes Studi in the, in the, in the advertisements. You know, but Wes Studi is a great actor. You know, he's, he's done a lot for our people, trying to educate, you know, the filmmakers. Like, you really need to have indigenous people in these films. But do they? No, you don't have them. Thank you. Anybody want to sing a song? One of the things that's going on in Canada for white people is the truth and reconciliation. And um, it's open to everybody. So if you want to follow those, that's one thing you can do. But Canada actually apologized to their indigenous people. America has yet to apologize for what they've done. But Canada got up and apologized. Yes. First of all, I want to thank you so much for coming today and sharing your perspective and your story with us. Um, you mentioned about the work you do for future generations and your vision of people living in harmony. And I was wondering if you could share with us a little bit more of your vision of a positive future if the people here could get there. Like, what, what do you see as that looking like? Not just the relationships among the various people in this land, but even how the infrastructure, the paving, the urban areas, like what we have done to the land, how we depend on the electricity that's, uh, that's given from those hydro plants. Like, how do you see for future generations your, your vision of a positive future? Well, there, there's solar, solar power, there's wind power, you know, and, um, and as I see, I see a positive future where people don't look at you because of the color of your skin. That people will go by and, and, and say hello, you know, or sh shake your hand or, you know. I go around and I, I'm a hugger, so I hug people. And I, my daughter was laughing at me the other day because I was talking to a banker from Wherelawam, Virginia. And I was just asking her a question on my account, and she said, hi, this is so-and-so from Virginia. Can you help me? I said, wow, how's the weather over there? You know, are you guys still frozen in? I'm asking all these questions. She's looking at me like, what are you doing? And uh, so the lady answers me, and, and you know, we're kind of chit-chatting about the weather and everything, and then finally asked her the question about my, my bank, and she gave it to me. She goes, well, you have a real nice day. I said, well, you too. I hung out for the long goes, Mom, who is that? And I said, well, I don't know. She's a banker from Virginia. <laughs> I don't know who she is. But it's just being polite, being, you know, showing that love that each one of us carry in our hearts for the human being or for people. Um, I was wondering on your introduction, it says that you are staying active in the preservation of wild salmon and promoting the Salish way of life. Could you describe some of your activities maybe every month or every week? Or oh, jeez. Lavam, you want to answer that question? 
I'm always on the road. I'm always meeting with people. I'm always talking to people. And, and I write things down. I was telling Daryl, I really need to put all this writing together, you know, to put something down. If it's not for me, but for my grandchildren. But I meet with, uh, I went to Standing Rock. This was, this was something. I would, I, Standing Rock had sent an invite to people to come over. And so I sent that to a council member of ours, David Bean. I said, hey, David, we should do something. They need donations and stuff. And so the next day he calls me up and says, hey, Nancy, we're giving you $10,000 in a van to take supplies over to Standing Rock. And I kind of like, are you kidding me? And he goes, no. So pick it up this afternoon. So I went in the afternoon and, and I got a hold of this lady. She's a Standing Rock member. She'd been wanting to go home for years. And we went, we went shopping and we took a van load of sleeping bags and everything over to them. And we were the first ones to bring supplies over, over to them. But I do things like that. And I go and protest with LNG and, and my young nephew is um, one of the leaders in that, a young woman. And so I support the young people who make a stand. Because um, sometimes when you're doing things like this, you get beat up by your own people or by just people. And so then somebody's got to go by and lift them up, brush them off and say, go back out there. Because my mother taught me to do that. She taught me that when uh, people were, were beat up they were beating her up, and, and thank God for Isidore Tom and Kenny Mosen. and they would come and help her clean her off and brush her off and give her that strength to go on. And so I seen her doing that to other young people. And so that's what I do, is I go and talk to leaders, I meet with people. I sat by Carrie, who's that senator, what's his name? Carrie, the senator. John Kerry, yeah, we were, I went to, I went to um, that rich place on the East Coast. Where? Martha's Vineyard. Yeah, I went to Martha's, but I tell you, those guys, they drink nothing but wine 24 hours a day, let me tell you. <laughs> <coughs> so anyway, the lobbyist said, well, let's go sit with this Alaskan senator. And I seen, I said, can we sit anywhere? She goes, yeah, I said, I'm going to sit by John Kerry. So I sat by John Kerry and I'm talking to him. Now he's drinking wine like crazy, you know. Then he looks at me after I'm talking about our people. Then he says, well, you guys sound like the African tribes. I said, African tribes? Don't you know anything about our people? You know, this land belongs to the, the a tribe and Jackie Kennedy fought them on this land but it was their inherent land over there. And I can't remember the name of that tribe. And, yeah, and I said, and you're talking to me about African tribes, really? <laughs> I was just shocked. But then I got to meet Obama. Oh, let me tell you. My uncle Billy Frank got an award over there. And my cousin calls me up and he goes, Nancy, you wanna go, and go with Pagan and accept this award? I said, sure. 
And when I walked in there, the White House was a horrible place. It's full of nothing but evil. That's just what I felt. I just felt like it was evil. And the first person I seen was Andrew Jackson. Jackson, big picture like that. And I started getting nauseous. Now, he wasn't the only one getting an award. There was a whole bunch of people getting an award. Um, yeah, and her husband got awards. And then there was that, uh, that uh, baseball player, Willie Mays. He got mad at me, by the way. Um, but <laughs> Barbara Streisand. And there was all these, all these people getting awards. And there was a congresswoman. She was like that. Been on Congress for over 30 years, but she don't have, and from Connecticut. But she said, they don't have no tribes over there. I said, well, you probably do. You're just not looking for them. And, um, but I went into the room, and oh, I got sick. I was going to throw up. And I looked at my council member, David Bean, and I, I went over like that. And I said, David, I'm, I'm going to throw up. And David asked that guy for some water. He goes, you can't have water in here because all this stuff is like 100 years old. And he goes, well, you can either have her throw up on the rug or you can give her some water. Of course, they went and got me water. I had this coughing fit, coughing like something was stuck right here. And I knew what it was. It was my voice because I wanted to get up and say something about this horrible place. And, um, but when uh, afterwards, we took pictures with Obama and Michelle. And he put his hand on my shoulder. It's really funny because my daughter, my youngest daughter, goes, oh, my God, he's got his hand on mom's shoulder. Because Obama was a good and great president. He's the only one that had meetings with tribes. He's the only one that sat down and talked to them about their concerns, you know, where the rest of them really didn't. And Michelle was a beautiful woman. I was wondering, could you tell us why there's this, what did Billy Frank Jr. do that there's a street named after him in Bellingham? Please. Oh, Billy, Billy Frank was a speaker of the indigenous. He, he was a chairman of Northwest Indian Fish, Fish Commission, but he became an envir environment, um, yeah, yeah, and protecting the salmon, and he met with congressmen, and and senators and a president. Senator anyway was his best friend, you know, so he was very active in protecting the salmon and the and Mother Earth and the rivers and and the mountains, you know, and everything. He he just talked about everything and he became that. But yet he was a humble man. And he loved his family. Isn't the bold rule because of Billy Frank's it's because of the fishing rights and because, be, because all the tribes got together. And, and, but, it was, but it was my grandfather, Willie Frank, who testified. Yeah. What's the relationship between Willie Frank and Billy? Father and son. I want to thank you, too, for this incredible storytelling that you were able to do. And I'm, I'm just really inspired by everything you're saying. And I, I'm wondering, I mean, I get so depressed with what's going on in the world, and you have this wonderful spirit and energy. What keeps you going? I mean, you Thank addressed you. it a little bit Life. before. Life. 
my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren. There's a big march going on on the 20th in Seattle. You should come to it. In Indigenous too. Women March. Too. Yeah, and there's one in Olympia. I'm going to one in Seattle. But yeah, just life. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, there was a panel one time, and Daryl was on the panel. And he was at the end of the panel, and someone asked the same question that you asked, like, what about the future? What should we do? And all the people in front of him, three of them, long, blah, blah, blah. Daryl got up and said two words, go tribal. And I think that might be part of what keeps you alive and spirited and going, is that you live with people whose culture is that, that very thing to be grateful for life, be grateful for the earth, and... And just keep fighting. And just keep fighting. And, and you know, if you give yeah. up, if you get up and you get knocked down, just get up and brush yourself off and just say, okay, I, that was yesterday, today's today, and I'm going forward. So I get up at six o'clock this morning to come up here. Yeah, my daughter stopped and got me a good cup of coffee. She travels, she drives me all over the place. Thank you, daughter. Mark, you had a closing question too. Maybe you can ask it again. Yeah. I can remember what it was. Oh, I don't it, know it if was, I can remember my words for that. <laughs> it was, if you could give any advice to people who are fighting current fights or fights to come, important fights, what is that? What's the biggest thing you can tell them that you think will help them? Stay strong. Keep the negativity out of these movements. Do not let people come in and drag you down or fill your ears with different kind of things that is not true. Because once you let that negativity come in, then it would destroy everything you're doing. So. What you need to do, you know, there's some people that I can say I don't like, you know, but I'm not gonna go out and say, I don't like you and I don't like what you're doing. And I may tell my daughter that, but then, um, but then you just gotta, gotta uplift each other and that's all you can do. Whether you like them or not, whether they have red hair and pink freckles, you know, you just, you just have to keep it up because if you don't, if you don't, there won't be a Mother Earth. You know, when that, when that super, that super um, moon came with that eclipse, I went out and I was praying. And I said, thank you. Thank you for empowering Mother Earth because that's the first thing that came to my mind. When the sun and the moon came together, they empowered Mother Earth to help her because she's the one suffering with everything that's going on. When they dig her oil out, they're taking the blood of her veins. You know, when they're digging the gold out, they're taking a piece of her heart. When they do the uranium and all this stuff, they're taking a piece of mother. It's like going into your body and taking stuff out of it. That's what they're doing to her. 
And so we just need to pray, give her the strength she needs. She's showing some of it. Mother Nature's showing some of it because she's angry with what they're doing with Mother Earth. These mudslides and fires and everything, the winds and stuff. She's had enough. And there's got to be a time when people say, hey, what am I going to do with all this money? I can't buy water. I can't buy food. What am I going to do with all this billions of dollars I have? I'm, gonna, I'm saving a legacy for my grandchildren, but they're not going to be able to use it. But they're also not learning how to survive. They think the money and, and all these people on TV, these reality shows and everything, you know, I don't know. It's just really, really sickening. And, then, and I was watching the, what was it, the awards where they come together, talked about solidarity and everything. But if you look at the way these women dress when they go to these awards, like, they have nothing to hide, you know? Why would you dress like that? And, and you know, the way they talk and everything, I mean, I. You know, I feel sorry for some of them, but come on, let's take responsibility and let's dress appropriately. I mean, if I was to walk out of my house like that, man, my mother would smack me. <laughs> you know, that was the way you dressed. And, uh, and, uh, and, and, and they, they dressed that way. I'm not saying they asked for it, but there's a certain way you should dress and a certain way you should conduct yourself in a certain way you should behave and always feed your spirit because your spirit listen to your intuition because you can never go wrong if you do that thank you once again for having me